0: Om Sahana Vavatu Sahana Ubhunatu Sahavir Yankaravavahai Te Jasvina Vadhita Mastuma Vidvishavahai Om Shantishantishanti shanti, Read verse fifteen. Yanjan Nevam Sadatmanam Yanjan Nevam Sadatmanam Yogi Niyatamana Saha Yogi Niyatamana Saha Shantim Nirvana Paramaham Machthamstamadhi gachade, Machthamstamadhi gachade, Natyashnatastu yogosti Natyashnatastu yogoste, Nachaykanta manashnataha, Nachaykanta Yuktaha haraviharasya Yukta haraviharasya Yukta cheshtasya karmaso Yukta cheshtasya karmaso Yuktasvapanavodhasya Yuktasvapanavodhasya Yogoh bhavati dukkha Yoga bhavati dukkha This Lord Krishna prescribes that along with meditation, there should also be a way of life in which one should be savdhan, means should be vigilant. So sometimes they say, what is sadhana or spiritual practice? Savdhani, always being vigilant, alert, is what one should be. Lord Krishna gave a few examples, Yukta Ahara viharasya in Ahara the food, Vihara the movement. sometimes these things, uh, people are obsessed with certain things, you know, that is also to be checked here. So being particular about food or being uh, moderate with reference to food, etc. As we mentioned this morning, one should know what kind of food is, food suits oneself, what quantity, etc. And but one should not become obsessed with this. There are people who always keep on worrying about food, counting calories, doing this and this and that. Whole day goes in that sometimes, you know, in the food. So they are particular about food, but too particular, you know. And therefore that's all that seems to matter. So we should know that, that obsession, we want to meditate upon Atma, not upon food. And the idea of being moderate in food is so that you can forget about that. It doesn't be. it does not remain an issue. Food is an issue for a person, should not remain an issue. Vihara, exercise also is fine. There also there should be. In a life of a person, exercise must be there to keep the body fit. But people get obsessed with that also. Whole day they keep on doing exercise or sometimes doing asanas, pranayam whole day. As Swami was saying, this person is every day jogging, he's running, 26 miles a day, I mean, you know. So... That is uh, obsession with certain things, that also one should avoid, shouldn't be obsessed with it. As I say, nothing should remain an issue. We do not want this body to be an issue, that's all. But it will not be an issue only when we keep in good humor, otherwise it will remain an issue. A child will not be an issue, will not be a botheration, only if the child is kept happy. So also body will not be an issue, will not be a botheration if it's kept happy. And so, idea is to keep the body in good condition. So that, if the body is healthy, mind also is healthy. If body is healthy, mind also is alert. Because health of the body, or condition of the body, definitely affects the mind. Therefore, here Lord Krishna says in Ahara, Vihara, in all of that, one should be moderate. Also, one should be alert, or vigilant with reference to the mind, activities of the mind, sense organs. The level of sense organs, the chest, other activities are performed, there also one should be alert. <clears throat> Meaning that the hands do what I want them to do, the legs do what I want them to do, the speech talks what I wanted to talk, eyes see what I wanted to see. We are not saying that we should, we should suppress our feelings or something like that. Basically we should be comfortable with ourselves and should lead a disciplined life not a life of deprivation understand but disciplined life because if there is deprivation then mind will keep on thinking you know I wish I had done this and I wish I had you know so that also should not a sense of deprivation also should not be there same time indulgence also should not be there there should be moderation one should not get obsessed with something one should not get obsessed with doing something avoiding something one should take things in the stride, so that the day-to-day life also does not remain an issue. Because if you are not careful, then things do become an issue. If you are not careful in what we are talking, then talking can become a problem. It can create problem by saying whatever, you know, if you are not careful about what you say, it can create hurt feelings. And then again it will hurt us in one way or the other. So that is why very particular in talking. As Lord Krishna says, Uh, talking about the austerity of speech in the seventeenth chapter. Anudvega karam vakyam satyam priyam hitam chayad. Your vakya or the sentence should be such that it does not cause udvega does not cause does not disturb somebody. Satyam that what you speak should be truthful. Priyam you speak truth also in a manner which is pleasant. Hitam and speak only when it is useful, it serves a purpose. So it is not necessary that we should even speak truth if it does not serve a purpose. If you want to speak truth, make sure that it is spoken in a pleasant manner so that it does not hurt the feelings of others. And <clears throat> this way, there is what we call austerity or discipline or tapasrīya at every level. And that is very helpful, very helpful. Because, ultimately, it helps us in also controlling the mind. When, because, ultimately, it is mind that does everything. Even though hands and legs are moving, actually mind is involved in the movement. When the, it is a speech that is talking, but the mind is involved in the talks also. Mind is involved in saying words also. Mind is involved in every activity. Very often, many activities are going on mechanically. And that being the case, we don't even know things are happening. Things just happen. We just finish the shower without even knowing that. You finish brushing your teeth without knowing it. You finish your walk without knowing it. Then, you finish Anuma and Charita also without knowing it. So if mechanicalness is going on, mechanicalness is there in our day-to-day activity, same mechanicalness also will be there in meditation, in prayers, in everything. And there were, If we are alert or vigilant with reference to activities, we shall be able to remain vigilant also during our prayers, during our meditation. Therefore, alertness should be practiced not only at the time of meditation, it should be practiced all the time. So alertness and meditation will help us being alert in other activities and alertness and that activities will help us remaining alert during meditation also. So that's what was so, Arjuna, saudhana Bhava. Here Arjuna may become saudhana, may become alert, may become vigilant. Be awareful. So live an awareful life. Not, a, not don't live mechanically, don't live impulsively also. Meaning that, recognize the impulses and do not come under the sphere of the impulses. Don't talk out of impulse, don't eat out of impulse, don't do things out of impulse, do them only out of deliberation. So let your free will always be exercised. May you not become mechanical, may not become impulsive, may you remain a deliberate person. Let your deliberation in whatever you do or whatever you do not do, let there be deliberation. That is when the free will is available and that is really the glory of a human being. When we act mechanically, there is no free will. When we act impulsively, again there is no free will. Only when we act deliberately, that is when the free will is. So we should become deliberate people. Deliberation, everything. That doesn't mean that you must be stressed out or there must be strain in everything. Swamiji, is a disciplined person, there is always strain. You know, no, there is no need to be. So, deliberation also should uh, maybe it may in the beginning it may create a certain amount of strain because we have to uh, pay attention to our habits or our impulses and so it may involve a certain amount of stress in the beginning in course of time then one becomes habitually a, a disciplined person an alert person a vigilant person therefore alertness or vigilance in our Day-to-day life also is a part of the practice for what we call meditation or yoga. <coughs> now, Lord Krishna further elaborates what has been said briefly, is being said a little more elaborately, you know what is meant by yoga? What's the state of the mind of a yogi? Eighteenth verse tells us that Yada Vinayatam Chittam, Yada Vinayatam Chittam, chittam Atmanyeva Tishthate, Atmanyeva Tishthate, Atman Nispruha Yukta ityuchyate tada. Yukta ityuchyate tada yukta. Tada then he is called yukta. Then he is called a yogi. Then he is called an accomplished person. So when, what is the definition of yogi according to Lord Krishna? <coughs> what is it that? the seeker or aspirant is seeking. He wants to become a yogi. Basically, what is meant by yogi is, the one who has an abiding (coughs) self-knowledge. So, yoga in Vedanta, when Lord Krishna uses the word yogi here, it is to be understood as one who has an abiding knowledge of the self. One who is aware of this knowledge of the true nature of oneself, I am Brahman, I am Satchitananda, I am consciousness, Shivoham, or Aham Brahmasmi. when that awareness becomes effortless, that is called abiding in one's own knowledge, or one's own nature, this is called Yoga here. So Yoga means abiding knowledge. Tadā yukta hiti then this person is called Yogi, he is called a person who has accomplished the purpose of life in terms of gaining and abundance in knowledge of one's own self. When is that? Yada Vinayatam chittam. So when the chittam, the mind, which is Vinayatam which has been uh, brought under control, although the word is viniyatam, and niyatam, so that which has gained a single pointedness, as a result of a long practice. So practice that was stated earlier, when a person practices basically the contemplation upon one's own self, and we see it also, there can be, as a first step, there can be a prayerful meditation which then leads to the contemplation upon one's own nature. And as a result now, the mind becomes free from the need to think of anything else. It is not that all the time the mind has to be kept restrained. In the beginning, the mind needs a restraint, so that the mind gets exposed to the one's own self, as the subsequent verses will describe. If you want your child to develop a cultivate taste for a certain thing, if you want your child to cultivate a taste for cheese, just as an example, maybe the child doesn't like it. Then what you do? You restrain him from eating other things and make him eat this, you know. Try it, come on, try once, try this. Like they want us to eat karela bitter goat, you know, who likes that? But then all that. Try it. It's good for you. It's good for your stomach. I don't care if it's good for stomach or not. I care only if it's good for my palate. But for them, it's not palate. It's the the end result that is important. So they want you to do this. Sure, it will involve a restraint in the beginning. Until you start liking it, you know. As you know, Swami's story about this Kerala. You know about the uh, the, the, the story of bitter god. Whatever. Our Pujya Swamiji says that there was a time when he did not like this karala, did not like Bittergore. Once apparently Swamiji was giving a series of talks in Delhi. The first evening he was invited to a bhiksha by family. And several dishes were cooked, one of them was karala. Karala means Bittergore, Punjabis do a good job of it. And so, and this the food was served on the plate Swamiji's principle is deal with unpleasant first <laughs> deal with the unpleasant first because what happens is we keep on postponing unpleasant then it becomes a crisis someday it becomes a crisis so rather than that deal with unpleasant first so he thought all right let me finish Kerala first so then he can enjoy the rest of the things And there he finished this helping of bitter good that was served him. And then the hostess thought that Swami should like it, because he finished it first. And so, second one, without asking. That's what they do in India. At least the ways they ask you, would you care for it? Then they would ask you like this, would you care for it? not even say in the beginning when I was told like would you care for it? I was I don't care for it you know but then I realized when they, would you care for it? it means would you want it you know but with the, in India they don't ask you something. they serve you thinking that you like it so now you are helping so then Swami says oh let me finish that first finish that also third time and so, you had to swallow it. Really, he did not enjoy it at all. But anyway, somehow, he finished. But then the story did not end there, because when he goes for viksha the next day to another family, they check with the previous family, you know, what does Swami like? <laughs> and so the next one also check with this, and he was told the Swami loves Kerala, he loves mutual. So wherever when he went, morning and evening was for ten days. <laughs> and maybe that was also season of which I got Karala. So he got Karala. Ultimately started liking it. He said, you know, ultimately. <laughs> you do it again and again, you start liking it. <coughs> Similarly, also we expose our mind ourselves again and again and again. Mind doesn't like it. Because mind has only samskara, the habit of enjoying things uh, other than the self, and therefore. It, it has no interest, it does not cooperate with us also but then we, with an effort, make the mind exposed to the self. Let the mind gain a test, taste of the peace which is nature of the self. Let the mind gain a taste and let it gain a taste and let it gain a taste. So in the beginning it doesn't cooperate, It you know, and still we make it do. That is when the strain is definitely involved in course of time the mind keeps on discovering the joy of being with itself and still it gets distracted. Like a child which enjoys the food all right and still gets distracted. Mother is feeding the child and child loves that food and still sees the bird and then runs after the bird. So, so mind does get distracted. Do it again and again. This also will be told subsequently. As a result the mind starts to get the taste of its own self, that peace, that abidance. And then a time comes when the mind effortlessly abides in its own self. (coughs) We say that the mind is never away from the self because just as the ornament is never away from gold, Gold being the nature of ornament, so also the self or consciousness is the real content of the mind. Just as the ornament is made of gold, so also the mind is made of consciousness. But to the extent that there is an identification of the form, to that extent one misses the content. But as a result of all the time being exposed to one's own content as the mind gains the, the exposure and slowly gains that knowledge that this is my true nature. Then, vinayatam chittam atmaniva avatishthate as a result of this then long practice the mind remains abiding in its own self without an effort. So what is accomplished in, you know, in the beginning with an effort in course of time becomes accomplished without effort. So this is a general rule In the beginning, what requires an effort, then becomes effortless in course of time. And this is true of any kind of a practice. Even you're learning cycling in the beginning, a lot of effort was involved in maintaining a balance and falling down and things like that. Then you do it for a length of time, you gain the facility of doing it, you do it effortlessly. And so also, vinyatam chattam, the mind that has been withdrawn from all other activities, and it is made to abide in its own self. And thus controlled from all activities. Then in course of time it gains an abidance in its own self. <clears> Atmaniva <throat> avasthate It abides in its own self. With no need to go anywhere. Because it has discovered a complete contentment with itself. Nispruha bhya. What distracts the mind is karma or the desire. There is desire because there is fascination for some object of pleasure. Because the mind gets pleasure out of enjoying or experiencing that object. This is also because the mind is not quite comfortable with its own self. But when it has discovered the total comfort with itself, now, there is no need for the mind to seek any gratification or pleasure from anything else because all the gratification it has it is discovered as its own self. Therefore, nispraha sarva kameh the mind is totally free from longing of all the desirable objects. Kama here is the objective desire, the mind is free from the longing for any object. Because, ultimately, as we said earlier also, the happiness is only the nature of the self. Whatever happiness seems to come from anywhere, really comes from the self. Having discovered that, the mind has itself become free from all the longing. So the only thing that was distracting the mind was his desire. Desire because there was a fascination for some object of pleasure. When that fascination is no more there, the desire is no more there, and therefore, the mind abides in its own self, ātmanīva Avatishade, when it abides in its own self effortlessly. Yukta-idhi then this person is called a yogi. He is one who enjoys a mind that abides, effortlessly abides in his own self. This is the goal, yoga, abidance in one's own self is what Vedanta is seeking. Understand that this abidance need not be confined to a certain practice. In fact, the abidance remains even when one is not practicing anything. Just now also understand, I abide in myself right now also. Whatever knowledge I have of myself, that I am so and so, I never forget that. You wake me up at night, you know, from the sleep, and ask Swami, who are you? I am Swami, so and so. Or I am so and so, that I am an ego, that I am an individual being, this is my approach, immediate knowledge right now, and it's abiding knowledge. It's ignorance of course, but how... How, how effortless that is. The idea is that right now also I am abiding in whatever knowledge I have about myself, effortlessly. So effortlessly when I abide in the knowledge of my true nature, that I am Brahman, that I am Shiva, that I am limitless, or I am complete, I am whole, as effortlessly that is, then you don't require any practice anymore because it is my own nature and so that person was described earlier also he is called jivan muktah the person who is liberated while living however and in this particular verse Lord Krishna describes a particular state of mind wherein the mind effortlessly abides in its own self and the next verse gives us an upama or a an illustration to explain or give us an example to illustrate the state of the mind of a yogi, the 19th verse tells us <laughs> Yathadipo nivātasthah, Yathadipo nivātasthah, Yatha Nengate so maspruta, Nengate sopa maspruta, so Yogi no yata yunjato yogam atmanah yunjato yogam atmanah yato chittasya yoginah atmanayogam yunjato sa upama the upamah this is the illustration upamiyate anaya, that with which you compare something is called upama. so just as you give upama. I mean, you know, you compare the face of a beautiful one with, with moon, for example. That becomes an upamana. And so also here, the mind of the yogi is compared. To compare to the flame of a lamp, the unflickering flame of a lamp. Yatha Deepaha A Deepaha or lamp, meaning the flame of the lamp. Nivaatastaha when that lamp is placed where it is free from the disturbance of breeze the, the flame does get oxygen it is not of oxygen at the same time it is placed maybe in a little uh, 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 in a little aperture where there is no wind or there is no breeze as a result there is nothing to disturb the flame then you find an unflickering flame. You find that the flame is burning because it does get oxygen, but because there is no breeze, therefore the flame remains steady, unflickering. How the flame of a lamp placed in a windless place does not flicker. This is, Lord Krishna says, that the knowers of yoga Upamasvuta. This is the Upama or the illustration that is traditionally given by those who are the knowers of yoga, those who are well versed in the various states of mind, and therefore those who know very well the state of mind of a yogi, meaning a wise person who has this abiding knowledge, they give this illustration of the flame of a lamp, unflickering flame of a lamp. So earlier was told us, what is the breeze that can disturb the mind? The absence of that breeze was stated in a previous verse, nispruha sarva when the mind becomes free from the longing of all pleasurable objects. So the longing for any object is like a breeze. And whenever the longing or desire arises in mind, the mind gets disturbed. So what disturbs the mind is desire which arises from a fascination that the mind has fascination a longing that the mind has for some object where it sees some joy so that is a breeze and that's what keeps on distracting the mind however the mind of this yogi has become free from all the longing having discovered the total contentment from oneself means that The mind of the yogi has become free from not only desires but from the samskara of the desires also. What they call the vasanas or the samskara impressions, they are all gone. And so, during the process of meditation also, various thoughts and desires may arise. In the Mandukya Karika, Gaudapada Acharya calls that kashaya. Kashaya means sometimes undigested thoughts, undigested desires, undigested impressions may be there. Like sometimes at the bottom of a pool of water, there is organic matter which keeps on decaying and then because of decaying the organic matter, it gives rise to some gas which comes out in the form of bubbles. So in a, in a pool of water which is otherwise quiet, you are some bubbles coming out. What's the reason the bubble? because of there is something at the bottom. There is some organic matter which is decaying and therefore it gives rise to this gas, the bubbles. So, so the mind may be quiet. Sometimes you find some very strange thoughts coming out of that for which you find no connection at all. People sometimes says, mamaji why? When I am meditating, why do these kind of thoughts arise? And then person gets disturbed also, so my mind is thinking like this or some unrelated thoughts or undesirable thoughts, with no connection. Then, we are advised that do not worry about this kind of thoughts. It is the result of some undigested impressions, undigested desires, things that are left residual, you know, undigested things left in the mind and Particularly when the mind becomes tranquil, then that is the time when they find it easy to express themselves. Just as the bubbles are emerging from a tranquil pool of water, so also these undigested thoughts may arise in the mind which is tranquil. One should just let the thoughts pass by, not get identified with them, not think that these are my thoughts, or not... Judge oneself by the thoughts that I am bad because the thoughts are bad or good. Thoughts are thoughts that is arising in the mind. Remain a witness. Let the thoughts pass by. So, some of these disturbing factors are all gone in case of a yogi because of a long practice. All the internal disturbing factors are completely resolved. And therefore, no, there is nothing. Just as there is no breeze to disturb that flame and so also, there is no breeze of desires or no breeze of any undigested thoughts and therefore the mind is completely calm. It does not flicker, it remains abiding in the awareness of oneself. So just as one, in you know, ignorant person has an awareness that I am the ego, that I am so and so, that I am a limited being, that I am a doer, I am an enjoyer, Just as an ignorant person has this kind of an awareness, so also the wise person has this, the mind has awareness that I am Brahman, I am consciousness. That is why the example of a flame is given, because flame means light. So mind actually is a mind. So by a beautiful example, the flame is that which is light, dispels the darkness, the same time unflickering flame So of so the mind of a yogi is an illumined mind and therefore all darkness of ignorance is dispelled the same time it is an abiding mind and therefore does not get disturbed by any factors without or within so that's the ukuma, the illustration given for the abiding mind of a yogi <coughs> this is now Further described in several verses subsequently, says the twentieth verse Yatro Paramate Chittam niruddham Yoga Sevaya niruddham Yoga Sevaya Yatra Yatra In fact we should read four verses together. Sukamatyandikam Yatat Buddhikrasyamatriam Indriam Vetiatra Nachaivayam Vetya Tranchayvayam Stitas Celatitattwataha Sditas Chalatitatva Tata Yalaba Chaparam Yabvacham Yasmim sitona dukena, Yasmimstitona Dukena, Gurunapi Vichalyate, Gurunapi Vichanyate, Tam Vidya Dukasanyoga, Tamvidya Dukkasany Yoga, Vyogam Yoga Sanyatam, Vyoga Yoga Sanyatam, Sanischayena Yoga Nirvana Chaitasan. Yoga So, why do you read all the four verses? Because the last verse that we read, verse 23, it says, tam vidyat dukha sa yoga vyogam yoga sanghidam. tam vidyat yoga sanghidam. Here, Arjuna, we will know this to be yoga? So, what the state, of, the state of the mind that is described in the earlier three verses, was verse 21, 22, 20, 21 and 22, 20, 21 and 22, in these three verses, what is described is called yoga. That's all. So, what, see, from the standpoint of the, the, uh, the anvaya or the, the, the prose order, you find that there is no verb in those three verses. In the verse 20, Twenty-one and twenty-two, the sentences are incomplete. There is no verb. The verb is provided in the verse twenty-three. That is why we read this verse also. Tam Vidyat, know that to be yoga and what is called yoga. Here Arjuna, know that to be what is called yoga. Meaning that what is described in those three verses is yoga. That's all. (coughs) So let us go back to the verse twenty-eight now. yatra Paramade Chittam yatra Uparamadechittam cittam, niruddham yoga sevaya, yatra yoga sevaya niruddham Chittam uparamadhe, yatra cha eva, atmana atmanam paschan, atmani The two characteristics are described here of the mind of a Yogi. Yatra, that state in which the state which is called yoga, which is called absorption, which is called absorption in one's own self. Here, the, uh, the difference between what the Yoga Shastra teaches and what Vedanta teaches, the difference, technical difference also should be known. Yoga Shastra basically teaches what we call, what they call the, the nirvikalpa samadhi or arasamprajñata samadhi. A samādhi or a state of mind, samādhi is absorption, a state of mind where there is complete absorption. What is called? Savikalpa samādhi and nirvikalpa samādhi. Savikalpa means this the absorption with vikalpa and nirvikalpa means an absorption without vikalpa. What is vikalpa? Vikalpa is the duality that we encounter in every experience in every experience there is the experiencer the object of experience and experiencing this triad or triputi is always involved right now for example you are the listeners so listener the words which are listened to and the act of listening These three things are involved. The listening can take place when there is a listener, there is something to listen to, and there is the act of listening. The words are spoken. If you are not there, you cannot listen. you are not there, you can be sitting there and still not there. Suppose the mind is elsewhere, then also listening will not take place. So listener must be there. The listener is there, if no words are spoken, The object of listening is not there, then also listening cannot take place. The listener also is there. The listened words are are also there. But suppose there is some problem with the faculty of listening, then also listening cannot take place. So listener, what is listened to? And the act of listening. Also the knower, known and knowing. The seer, seen, seeing. So you are the seer, I am the seen. there is the act of seeing. I am the speaker, the words are spoken, act of speaking. These is three factors are involved in every experience. (coughs) This is called vikalpa. Vikalpa means this duality of the triad of the knower, known and knowing. That is called vikalpa because it is vividan kalpana. Actually, if you analyze the nature of knower, known and knowing, what is truly the nature of the one who calls himself a knower? What is the essence of this knower? Just as you ask this question, this person who is acting as a beggar, what is his true nature? In the beggar, who is acting on the stage, There is something which is real and something which is not real. Something which is inherent, something which is incidental. The actor is inherent, the beggar is incidental because the same actor can put on some other costume and may act as the king. In that case, again, that costume or the role is subject to change, whereas the actor does not change. We can say that the actor is the inherent, the abiding factor, whereas the role or the costumes are incidental, they are subject to coming and going. Thus when we see this actor on the stage, in that, the beggar on the stage, there are two aspects involved, one is an aspect that does not change, other is an aspect that changes. So what is changing cannot be said of a nature, what does not change is nature. So we can say that really the actor is the true nature of this beggar. Similarly, you take an example of an ornament. There also, the ornament is a bangle right now. You can melt that gold and you can f- form it in some other form and you can make a chain. So now the name and form has changed. You can again melt that gold and make an anklet out of that, the name and form has changed. So thus the names and forms are subject to change but the gold is that which does not change. We can say that the gold is the inherent or the abiding or the changeless aspect of the ornament whereas the name and form are changing incidental aspect. The name and form depends upon the gold, the gold does not depend upon name and form. Meaning, a bangle depends upon the goal for it to be, but the goal doesn't have to be a bangle for it to be. Therefore, that which is independent is called truth, that which is dependent is not truth. So thus, now we can look at our own self. When I say I'm a speaker, I'm a hearer, I'm a thinker, I'm a knower, I'm a seer, this is how, I find myself. Right now I am a speaker. In between I become a thinker, sometimes I become a listener. So in I also there is a changing part. As in case of an actor, now he is a beggar, then he a king, and so also now I am what? I am a speaker. Then I am a listener, then I am an eater, then I am a thinker, or whatever. So, these changing aspects cannot be my nature because they are coming and going. So in all of these changing aspects, is what is it that is changeless substratum? Just as a gold is a changeless substratum for various names and forms, just as an actor is a changeless substratum for various costumes or roles, so also what is the changeless substratum about I on which all these various functions or roles keep on coming and going? So when we ask this question, right now I am a speaker, then I am a hearer, then I am a thinker. In all of this, what if that does not change? Answer is I am, I am, I am, I am, does not change. That I am, how do you know that you are? Because that I am is in fact self-revealing. And therefore, I know that I am without any effort because. I am is self-revealing self fulfilling that I am that I am conscious is a fact about me which does not change regardless of whether I am happy and happy I am awake I am sleeping whatever that I am and that I am conscious that sat and chit I am that never changes so therefore what is the true nature of the I? we will find that sat and chit Existence and awareness, really, is a true nature lie. And what's the form? such it? It is no form. All the forms keep on coming and going. They're incidental. All the forms, such as the speaker, hearer, are incidental. All of them are ultimately sustained by I, the self, which is existing, which is self-shining, which is formless, is the substratum, all the forms. So when we just inquire, what is the true nature of I? It turns out of nothing but consciousness, nothing but existence, nothing but formlessness. Then we ask the question, what is the true nature of these objects such as flower? So I am the knower, the nature of knower is consciousness or existence. So what's the nature of this flower? When you ask, what's the, what is about the flower that also does not change? We find that in flower also, there is something subject to change. This flower tomorrow will not have the same freshness that it has right now. After a week, it will not have the same color that it has now. After a month, it may not have the same form that it has now. And then also, when this color, when the form, all of these about the flower are changing, what is that does not change? That the flower is, does not change that the flower shines in my awareness, does not change. Therefore, Sat and Chit, that also turns out be the inherent nature of this flower. Understand this. So really, knower also is Sat Chit. And where Sat Ananda also is there, so the knower is Sat Chit Priyam. The known also is, Asti Priyam, Sat And what is Knowing, Knowing is the flower thought that takes place in my mind. So when I come in contact with the flower, there is a thought of flower, that's what we call knowledge. So this flower thought, there also in the thought also the name and form keep on changing because now it is flower thought, then the book thought, then the heart thought. And there also when we remove the changing aspects, the thought also turns out to be nothing but just consciousness and existence. So, really speaking, one satchidananda, or one Astribhādipriyam, or one Suh, or one Self alone, understand, assumes the role of the knower, that alone becomes a known, that alone becomes a knowledge. One thing really takes all these different forms. Although we think that the knower, known and knowledge are all distinct from each other, so it looks like as long as we do not inquire into the true nature, when we probe into what the true nature is, we discover that the knower, known in knowledge, all of them ultimately spring from only one substratum which is asti, bhati, priyam or sat, chit, ananda, just as from the water, there is this wave, then there is bubble, then there is foam, looks like wave is different, bubble is different. Foam is different. When you inquire into what the essence of the wave is, water. What is bubble? There also is water. What is foam? There also is water. One water manifesting as the waves, the bubbles, the foam, or one gold manifesting as number of ornaments. So also one or consciousness manifesting as the knower, known, and knowledge. So this kalpana, this projection upon the self. One self was Sachirananda, this projection of the knower, known and knowledge. This projection is all kalpana. Therefore, vikalpa. Vikalpa means vivid kalpana, the various kinds of superimposition. Savikalpa, that is along with Kalpana. So one consciousness is imagined to be the knower, the known and knowledge. Therefore, an experience where this difference is there of knower, known, and knowledge is called Savikalpa. Along with Vikalpa, along with the duality, along with these projections. Therefore, in Yogi Shastra they talk of the Samadhi absorption also in two stages. They call Savikalpa Samadhi and Nirvikalpa Samadhi. Samadhi means a state of absorption where there is a slight awareness of the knower, known, and knowledge there is knowledge that I am Brahman but there also still there is an awareness of I as well as Brahman and in course of time when that vikalpa also drops and all that remains is nothing but the self or consciousness which is the substratum of all that would be called nirvikalpa samadhi so savikalpa and nirvikalpa so here Lord Krishna describes so as a result of a long practice, the vikalpa also slowly and slowly resolve, and everything resolves into just the truth, which is myself, which is consciousness, which is the substratum of the know,er known and the knowledge. That's all that remains, an awareness of that. That will be called the this nirvikalpa samadhi, or called the abiding knowledge of self which is what Lord Krishna is describing in these three verses. So Lord Krishna says, Yatra Yoga-Sevaya Niruddham Chittam Yoga-Sevaya, by the practice of yoga, by the practice of concentration, by the practice that earlier described, of all the time trying to make my mind see the true nature of myself. It is not so much concentrating the mind upon the self really, because in case of a self, mind cannot, I cannot concentrate the mind on the self, because self is a mind. When I have to think of something other than myself, then question of concentration comes. But here, it's a matter of seeing, when I constantly make my mind see this fact that, hey, you are consciousness, you are Brahman, you are the asti bhadi Priyam, you are satchitananda. Yoga-sevaya, when this is done for a length of time, then, Niruddhan Chittam Uparamade, the mind gets withdrawn from every other kind of thought or projection and simply abides in the knowledge that I am consciousness or I am self or I am Brahman. eva Atmana Atmanam Pashyan. There, one sees oneself by oneself. Not that there is a difference between the seer and seen. When there is a duality of seer and sin, you still call it the Savikalpa Samadhi. When that difference also resolves, then I see myself. Even when the difference is there, then also I see myself as of the nature of happiness, Ānanda. Yatra evam ātmana atmanam paśyan, seeing myself by myself, meaning that being aware of myself. Ātmani tuṣyadi, I find a total contentment or satisfaction with myself. Lord Krishna says that what is awareness is nothing but ananda also, what is awareness is also fullness and therefore discovering myself as awareness also is discovering myself as ananda or fullness and therefore this yogi as a result of this long practice who has discovered thus the true nature of oneself sees himself as nothing but ananda and therefore finds a total satisfaction or contentment with his own self. <clears throat> so in this, in the next verses, Lord Krishna describes the same thing. We read the verse 21 also, Sukham atyantikam yattat, So what is said in the second line is expanded here. That this yogi or the wise person, or the enlightened person, I should say, Finds the total contentment with himself. Meaning that he sees himself as of the nature of Atyantikam Sukham. Sukham or the happiness which has no anta, which has no limit. Meaning that he seems, sees himself as the limitless happiness. Buddhi that which is in fact seen or known by Buddhi in his own mind. Meaning he is aware that I am happiness. Atindriyam, the happiness that is not generated as a result of an experience. So usually we gain experiences of pleasurable objects through our sense organs. The happiness of self, Lord Krishna says, Atindriyam is not a result of an experience of sense organs. It is something that is spontaneous. It is self-revealing. It is nature of myself. And therefore the enlightened person sees himself, as the limitless happiness, which is not a result of an experience, which is not limited by the experience of a limited object, which is uncreated, which is one's own self, which is self effulgent And this is what he sees. this is what he sees himself as. And abiding in which one does not get deviated, from one's own nature. So in these verses, Lord Krishna says that, the self is of the nature of ananda, self is of the nature of boundless happiness. Happiness which is inherent nature of the self, happiness that is not created, which is always there. But then, which was missed on account of the mind always looking for happiness elsewhere. When the mind now has gained an abundance in itself, then it sees itself as nothing but happiness and remaining where he does not get disturbed from his true nature. We'll continue the discussion in the afternoon. Om Purana Purnamidam purnat purnamudachyade Purnasya purnamadaya purnamevavashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutrabhashakrutavvande Bhagavanta Upunapunaha Ishvaro Guru Ratme De Murthibheda Vibhagine Vyoma Dehaya Dakshina Murthaye Namaha Om Shantishantishanthi Hari Om Sri Guru Namaha Hari Om